am excited to um, be sharing today the uh, fifth message in a series called How Do I Know? And How Do I Know is a series just uh, really trying to affirm your faith, to build your faith, to build confidence in your faith. And we want to do this because um, we believe that God's doing an amazing work and he's going to use you to do it. And we want you to have a firm and sure foundation in Christ. And um, uh, we, we've had a, a number of amazing messages. And I really want to encourage you to check out the YouTube channel and check out our podcast. Share it with people who might need to hear it. Today, I'm preaching the fifth one. And I've been studying. And I'm ready. And I hope you're ready to take notes because you're going to want to take notes, you're going to want to watch it again, and you're going to want to make sure you got it so that you can help somebody else. Today's message is called, How Do I Know Jesus is the Only Way? And I know when I say that, the part that people struggle with the most is the word only. It's like if you would just say Jesus is the way or Jesus is a way, um, that would be cool, you know, I could just put Jesus in the mix of what I got going on, you know, add a little Jesus here, keep a little world there, keep a little sin there, just throw a little Jesus in there and I'd be all right, come on. Uh, but Jesus himself says it like this, we, we read the scripture last week when I talked about how do I know heaven and hell are real, I encourage you to listen to it, this is a scripture we use and let's jump into it from there, uh, Jesus says, there is more than enough room in my father's home in heaven. If there were not so, if this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And then Jesus continues in verse 6 and says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Another, um, as, as the New Testament continued to be written, Jesus dies and he resurrects again. And in the book of Acts, where um, the writer would have written at this point, he says in uh, 4.12, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, which we must be saved. And so... I understand people's hang-ups is often around the word only. How do I know Jesus is the only way? And one of the ways I know that is because Jesus is the only one who said that. Listen, um, you, you might say, but, but Pastor Drew, what do I do about, have you ever seen those bumper stickers that say coexist? And isn't that so creative? They use different symbols for different religions to spell out the word coexist. And it seems so chill. It seems so harmonious, seems so open-armed, uh, you, you know, peace-grabbing, like, let's, let's all just get together in a circle and hang out. Or maybe you've seen the bumper sticker, Tolerance, and you're like, come on, man, they just chill, just low-key. Isn't that, isn't there something attractive to that? Or have you heard the, the saying before, God is on a mountain, and there's many different roads up to the mountain. Doesn't that sound so harmonious? Isn't that so nice sounding? Because if Jesus claims he's the only way, isn't that restrictive? Isn't that kind of exclusive? Some people might think, isn't that a little bit arrogant? In fact, 49% of Americans must agree because in 2016, a Barna survey said that 49%, nearly half 
of Americans said all religions basically teach the same thing. And, and, and you know, one of the reasons I wanted to tackle this subject is I believe that the enemy loves to muddy the water and to cloud all truth so that it, uh, people can begin to think there are multiple ways and make us feel good about our place wherever we want to settle. In fact, I had someone of the younger generation, when they heard what I was preaching, say, are you really saying, are you going to say that other religions aren't good? And I said, yes, I am, because... I've read this Bible, I've done my studies, and I want to present to you how I've come to that conclusion, and I, I believe you might as well today, and if not, just lean into it and give me, give me a, a little bit of your time, and, and I'll try to explain, but if half Americans say that all religions basically teach the same thing, it gets worse for the group of Americans who are spiritual but not religious, the people who define themselves as spiritual but not religious, 73% said all religions are basically teaching the same thing. So it clouds the water and it makes us wonder which religion is true. Are all of them true? Are none of them true? What should I do? <laughs> oh, come on. On a roll. Listen. Oh, what should I do? Come on, I'm sorry. I heard a stand-up comedian do that. I just wanted to do that. Anyway, uh, <laughs> you know, it was in, you, we can think that religious pluralism, that's, that's the official term for the embrace of many different religions and believing they're all true and virtuous and right, and they all lead to God. That's called religious pluralism. That kind of tolerance talk sounds so harmonious and unifying. But is it? In March of 2000, in a city called Oslo, Norway, Christian church bells would always ring for years to announce that it's time to worship. It's a call of worship. So Muslims got up in an arms and, and they protested by putting in a, um, into the government a, a decree or, or a, asked for the permission that if Christians can announce their call to worship, then they should be too. And the government approved that they could now begin to announce weekly Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar, which is to say God is great. And then the Norwegian Heathen Society said if the Christians can announce their call to worship and the Muslims can announce their call to worship, we should be allowed to announce our call to worship too. The government granted their request, and over the same loudspeakers, right after the Muslims said, God is great, the Norwegian Heathen Society said, God's not real. <laughs> Come on. They said, there is no God, over the same loudspeakers. And isn't that a picture of the world we live in today? There's so many voices shouting at us from so many directions. And if you haven't gotten into your word, you won't know which way is true. And you won't which, know which way points north. The question has to be asked, would we be more harmonious if we just became more tolerant of others? Well, let me illustrate that by talking about the elephant in the room. There's an old, ancient parable that would be told to uh, give credence to religious pluralism. 
And I want to share that story with you because it tries to identify that no one religion has the whole picture or has the way. We need them all together. And so this is the type of story or parable they would tell. Maybe some of y'all have heard it. It would go like this. There are six blind men surrounding an elephant. And the first blind man touched the elephant's side and said, how smooth. An elephant is like a wall. The second blind man touched the elephant's trunk and he said, how round, the elephant is like a snake. The third uh, blind man touched the tusks and said, how sharp, the elephant uh, is like a spear. The fourth blind man touched the leg and he said, how tall, an elephant is like a tree. The fifth blind man touched the ear and he said, how wide. An elephant's like a fan. And the sixth blind man touched the tail, and he said, how thin. An elephant is like a rope. And the sixth blind man broke into argument, claiming that their way was more superior than the other way, and that they had the full revelation of what an elephant was, until a great Raja woke up from the sounds of the arguments from his balcony on high, and the Raja cried out to the six blind men saying, um, the elephant is a big animal. Each man touched only one part. You must put all of the parts together to find out what an elephant is like. And we say, ooh, ah. Come on. We like stories like this. In the West, stories like this make us feel good and we feel like that's harmonious because it appeals to our modern sense of everybody wins. Come on, no one has to be mad. We all have a part of the truth. Everybody gets a trophy. Let's all hug one another and walk in harmony together, right? Isn't this what we like to think? No one's wrong, no one's mad. Let's all be winners today. But the problem is that though it seems so insightful, it's ignorant of a few different things. It's even ignorant if you study the various religions, it's ignorant to say that this can be true and work together. Here's just three things that it ignores. Number one is this view is equally as exclusive. What do I mean by that? Some people would say, Pastor Drew, my problem with Christianity is the word only, that Jesus is the only way. I got good friends who have other religions, and how can Jesus be so exclusive? How can he be so specific? How come he doesn't open up his arms to more things? I would like to say, after studying all the different world religions, that Christianity is the most inclusive one, because when you read your Bible, it uses terms like whomsoever will believe in me. It says all. It, it, it is the most inclusive of books, but it says if your problem is that Christianity is claiming absolute truth in an exclusive kind of way, well, then this Raja's got the same problem because the Raja, too, is saying all y'all are blind and only I have divine wisdom. In other words, it it's a self-defeating statement that it, too, while it sounds so embracing of all others, is saying, 
you are small and you have to put it together with everybody else. It's a self-defeating statement. Like a few of these statements maybe you've heard. Because sometimes people use these statements to try to debunk Christianity or to talk about modern, postmodern times. And they use self-defeating statements like this. There is no such thing as absolute truth. I think you just made an absolute truth that there are no absolute truths. <laughs> so your premise is the same as mine, <laughs> right? Let's throw those out. Or how about this one? It's wrong for you to tell someone they are wrong. I think you just told me that I was wrong too. How about this last one? It's arrogant to say your way is right. How arrogant of you to tell me that your way is right, <laughs> telling me that my way is arrogant too. See, it's the same arrogance to claim all are right as it is to claim one is right. And by the way, truth is not arrogant if it is true. Let me say it again. Truth is not arrogant if it's true. If I'm a math instructor up here today and I say one plus one equals, how arrogant of you guys. You're being very exclusive. There are like billions of other numbers. Are you sure two is the only way in that equation? Come on. Four is a pretty good number. Nine and a half is a pretty good number. Pi, where are my pi people, right? 3.1695, I don't know how long it's been since I said pi. I'm way off, aren't I, Shelby? What is it? 3.141, that's a good number. One plus one equals pi, can it? Can it? No, it's an exclusive answer. But is it arrogant? We could say, why don't you start including more numbers when you say one plus one equals because then everybody wins and we'd have more clarity. No, we would have less clarity. We would have more confusion and we'd have a lot of people doing some very bad math. Okay, how about this one? Two dollars plus two dollars equals. That's so narrow minded of you guys. It's so arrogant the way you're talking to me, like your answer is the only answer. Here's one more. <laughs> Last week, my wife and I went to New York City to celebrate with another church who stepped into a, a, a permanent home after eight years of being portable in New York City. And we celebrated with them, but we went to New York. Now, if I didn't know where I was going and I was starting from here and I approached you today, help me out. I want to go to New York City. Which direction do I need to go? You sure? You sure I can't go south? You sure I can't? Can I go east, like towards the Atlantic and get there? Can I go west towards the Pacific? How come you are so arrogant about saying I got to go north? Because there are some absolute truths. And everybody absolutely knows that too. So, so to say that truth is arrogant, it's not arrogant if it's true. Number two, here's the second hole I would poke in that story of uh, uh, religious pluralism. Number two, that view claims all religions work together or they, they work to get to God. And if all religions work to get to God, then what do you do with James Jones and the Jonestown Massacre of 1978? Tell your neighbor, don't drink the Kool-Aid. If you're too young to know what that even references, 
It references James Jones who felt enlightened by God to lead his followers to say that God has told us it's time to cross over. And so he convinced 918 people to collectively commit suicide together or to kill the kids who could not interpret and then commit suicide. So 918 people crossed over in 1978, killing 300 children before they did. If all ways lead to God, then you'd have to applaud them. You'd have to give them credit for what they did. Or what about, it must have worked. Or what about uh, Marshall Applewhite and Heaven's Gate cult, where people and police officers found 39 members dead in matching clothes and Nike shoes. Come on, young people, say not the Nikes. Not the Nikes. Come on. 39 people committed collective suicide because I'm going to quote what their preacher taught them. He said, leaders preached that suicide would allow them to leave their bodily containers and enter an alien spacecraft hidden behind the Hale-Bopp comet. Now, if all religions work, I'm, they must have ended up on their alien spaceship if that's heaven or whatever version of heaven it is. Because to say all religions work, all you have to do is be sincere is also to say that the 9-11 suicide bombers, what they did worked when they killed tens of thousands of Americans. Because if all religions work, and all it takes is sincerity in a way, then all of these must be heaven-bound, and these suicide bombers must have received their virgin. You see, we got to realize that, like, for example, in 2018 alone, there were 293 suicide attacks in 21 countries, killing 1,932 people, wounding another 3,000 plus people. And if all ways work to get to heaven, those people must be applauded. In fact, they're more sold out for their faith than most Christians are. We have trouble making four out of four Sundays. They gave their life for what they believe. So if the way to heaven is just to have sincere faith in anything, well, then they must have achieved their prize. What do we do with those kinds of things? If all religions work, then you have to be tolerant even if one of those bombers took your child's life. And that's real in light of this week happening with another shooting inside of a school. And I don't think any of those family members would say if they did it out of religion, if the, if, and that's not the claim. But, but maybe if someone claimed that, you would have to say, well, you got to respect their methods because they're in heaven. That, that's a difficult pill to swallow if all religions work. Here's the third hole that I would poke in the elephant story is that this view claims they all go together to give us a picture of God. It's as if to say, oh, there's many different religions, and if we just put them all together, there went that religion. Come on. We don't have that one anymore. Whoop. Okay, they're all, all the religions are falling. Come on, it feels like... This feels like Baal in the presence of God, if you know that story. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, anyway, it's as if to say, 
if we take pieces of different religions, we can put them together and they'd make a beautiful mural and myriad of who God is. No, they won't. They're going to form a really dysfunctional picture real quick as we try to force them together. Oh, where are all my dads at that you're just trying to finish the puzzle early and you like, it fits, I'm telling you, it fits. This is what we're doing when we're trying to make world religions fit with one another irregardless of what they teach. It's actually ignorant and rude to say something like that to a believer of a different faith because it denies what their faith actually says. Let me give you a few examples of what I'm talking about. See, religions do have some similarities, but they have fundamental differences in their faith, radically different. For example, they all worship. They all worship radically different. They all have places of worship, but the places of worship look radically different and are used radically different. Come on, they all have morals, but they're different. They all have buildings, and they all pray. They all have holy books, but what they teach in the holy books is radically different. For example, if we were to try to put all world religions together and just fit them together to show how good God is, look how much clarity we get when we look at Hindus would say, make an image of God, and Jews would say, don't make an image of God. And Muslims would say, there cannot be an image of God. And, Jesus, uh, and Christians would say, Jesus is the image of God. And Buddhists would say, I am the image of God. How clear is that for us all? Isn't it all telling us a little bit more of how God works together? No. Or if we say, how do you get to heaven? How can you be saved? Well, Muslims would say you are saved by works. Christians would say you are saved by grace. Um, a Buddhist would say you are saved by enlightenment, whatever that means. Come on, for certain sects of Buddhism. Um, how about this? Christians would say there is one God, but he's triune. Muslims would say there's one God, but not triune. Hindus would say there are 300 million gods, and Buddhists would say there is no God. You cannot put the pieces together and say that they fit to show who God is. In our Western society, we would say racism is wrong, not Muslims, not, not Hindus. Um, we would say men and women should be equally valued, not Muslims. So what I'm trying to say is all of our calls to be tolerant are really just false tolerance until someone acts on what they believe. I need to say that again because all of our claims of being tolerant are really just false tolerance until someone acts on what they believe because it very much fundamentally differs from what I said. You say that those suicide bombers, they go to heaven too, and they got their virgins, and I think radically different about taking life. We got to understand that God is not found in collectively putting all the religions together. And so how do I know Jesus is the only way? Well, I'm going to go back to John 14, 6, what I started with. Jesus said it himself. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father 
except through me. He is the only Christian hero who boldly proclaimed and said something so audacious, so specific, so uh, uh, um, um, clear. And so let me break those three down. He is the way. In other words, if you want to find God, it is not by mixing up all these puzzle pieces. Jesus is the box top. You're trying to find clarity for your life. You're trying to find certainty. You're trying to figure out how to put it together. You feel like there's a God-sized hole in the middle of your heart, and you got to look at Him to find the solution to it. We get confused when we start mixing other things up, and no other Christian hero said He is the way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am one way Jesus, you're the only one that I could live for. Where's my early Hillsong United people at? Come on. Listen, I love that song. Anybody seen Jesus Revolution recently? Come on, that movie's great. If you have it, you need to support it. It's incredible, the last great move of God we had in America. And what were these hippies who were coming to Jesus Christ saying? One way. One way, Jesus. We got to realize he is the way. Proverbs 14 verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Jesus said, I am the way. He said, I am the truth. Oh, don't we search for truth in this world? Come on, we're searching for something that's just not fake. We have seen fake before. Fake humility, uh, fake Nikes. Fake Oakleys, I represented those in my teen years. Come on, couldn't afford them, baby. Hit up the Baton Rouge flea market, and you couldn't tell my Schmokleys from your Oakleys, baby. Come on, bro. I'm telling you, I was rolling. We're searching in a world for real and not fake. Fake attire, fake people, fake appearances, fake uh, social media accounts, fake news, fake politics, fake promises. We're in a world searching for the truth. And in a world searching for truth, Jesus stands up and does the only real thing that any Christian hero of any other book did. And he said this, if you want truth, put your finger in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Thomas was a doubter, and if you're in this place and you doubt, you're in good company because one of Jesus' followers for three years doubted that Jesus resurrected again. And he said, I'll only believe it when I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, Jesus shows up like a boss. More to come on that next week on Easter. Don't miss it. He didn't stay in the grave. He's king on both sides of the stone. He resurrected again. He showed up eight days later and said, Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. And Thomas exclaimed the best five words that you could ever say over your life towards God. My Lord and my God. In other words, I have become convinced. I was doubting. I didn't know your strength. I didn't know your power. I didn't know you could come back again. I didn't know you could defeat death and the grave. But you are standing here. And I have done what so many people might doubt. And I believe. And in just a few moments, there's many of you today who's going to have the opportunity to use the same five words as Thomas and say, my Lord and my God. I now realize you are the son of God. 
and what you did was to set me free. Somebody give God some glory right now before, come on, people are, God's moving on people's lives today. I'm going to give you that opportunity in just a minute. He said, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. In other words, there's a lot of pain, grief, and hurts in our world. There's a lot of darkness, there's a lot of overwhelming feelings, there's a lot of depression, there's a lot of anxiety, and we know a lot of people who are busy, know anybody who's busy. And we all have schedules and events and relationships and things and hurts and pains that take life from us. And what the world tells us is just medicate, cope, numb the pain, drink this, smoke that, snort this, Wear this, do that, become this, stop caring. You're just a blob. It doesn't make sense. We're just meaningless. It's all going to go away anyway. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you'll die. We're surrounded by things that steal life. And Jesus is the one who said, it's the enemy who came to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you might have life. And life more abundantly. Come on. Jesus said, I am the life. And I've come to give you life today. So what do I want you to do with this now? There's two things. If you have not given your life to Jesus Christ, I believe God's already been moving on your life. And you might say, Pastor Drew, I've been sensing something's going on today. I felt God's presence in worship. And now I'm, I, 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 something's going on even as you speak. I'm co- becoming convinced that Jesus died for me. Uh, I, today, here's what I want you to do. Give your life to Jesus Christ. It's time to surrender. Stop trying to fix yourself. Try, stop trying to make yourself right. It ain't going well, is it? I know because I've done it. And so many others have done it too. Jesus is the one who said you can't earn your faith. You can't earn your salvation. You only believe. Now here's the thing about Jesus' love. I love every single one of y'all. Y'all have no idea how much I pray for you. My wife and I pray for you. We love you. We care about you. Now here's the thing. If you reject my love, it's going to hurt me. If you reject Jesus' love, it's going to hurt you. It's easy to reject my love. You just say, I don't need it. I don't, I don't got it. I got something better. I don't, I don't need what you got going on. And it hurts every time, doesn't it, if someone's ever rejected your love. But when you reject Jesus' love, it's going to hurt you. Because Jesus died so that you can have an eternity of salvation with the Father who created you, who knit you together in your mother's womb, who knows the number of hairs on your head, who died and gave his only son to die and resurrect for you, did miracles to show his great love for you, showed up in the midst of it and then proved it like a boss on Easter and is seated at the right hand of the throne, ready to intercede for you. He is in the holy of holies, the most holy place in the heavenly temple, actively ever interceding for you and he is our high priest he is in love with you all of your blemishes are covered by him and his life and death on the cross somebody give a praise break up in here see don't get hung up on the fact that there's only one way get excited that there is a way and his name is Jesus and the second thing I want for you is if you've already made that decision then number two Tell someone else about Jesus. Tell somebody about Jesus. Uh, Penn Jillette 
is a celebrity. Uh, you might have heard of him from the famous act of Penn and Teller. And Penn and Teller has had a uh, Las Vegas show and magic show for a long time running, and they have a name for themselves. And if you know anything about Penn Gillette, he's pretty, pretty loud. He's pretty out there. He's, he's pretty foul. Um, and he is a very loud atheist. Well, one day after in between his shows, a Christian showed up, and he brought Penn a Bible. And he wrote just a humble note in there, and he said, really enjoyed your show. I'm, I'm, I'm so, it's so cool what you do. Um, I just wanted to share with you my faith in Jesus Christ. I believe he is the way to heaven. And this atheist, Penn Gillette, went home, grabbed a video camera, and he recorded this about 10 years ago. It impacted my life, and I hope it impacts yours. Watch this. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell, and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, and that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible. I thought those were more powerful words coming from an atheist than a lot of us. And it's the reason that right next to my phone, I keep right next to my cards, I always keep an invite card to church. Because if I believe that there's a heaven and a hell, then we have a responsibility to go out there and tell people about the way, the truth, and the life. Like, like he said, how much do you have to hate someone to know the way and say, nah, it's not, I'm not going to share it. It's like if I had the cure for cancer and I just said, I'm going to keep it to myself because I don't want anybody to think I'm arrogant, cocky, or offend somebody that I have a solution that could heal them for eternal, everlasting life. Now, I, I, I keep Easter cards, and you can grab some on the way out, or I keep a come sit with me card because you could be walking up in food lion, man. You're just trying to get some ground meat, grill up some burgers, and head home, and you know the Holy Spirit nudges you and says, tell them about me. You're like, yeah, I don't know if I'm good enough to tell them about you. I don't know if I want to. I just want to make a cheeseburger and go home. Come on, low-key day. Just hang out with the family. Just have some sweet tea. Come on. Everything's better with some sweet tea. Just want to, just want to chill. God says, tell them about me. And if you think, I don't know how to, it does not get any easier than this week. Because all you got to do is invite them to Easter with you, which is the one out of 52 weeks that anybody is most likely to say yes to you to come to church. And we have got quite the experience planned for them. We've made room. We've made three experiences, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. Please do not show up at 10.15. You're going to miss a move of God. Come on. We're already going to be rocking and rolling by 10.15. And with worship and praise, I'm telling you, we have a powerful experience plan. There is a testimony that we're going to tell that won't only just bless you, 
but it's going to set some people free because God has done amazing works. We're going to tell of the testimony and what breaks the enemy's yoke. Come on, the blood of the lamb and the word of his testimony. We're going to talk about a new series that I'm starting next week. It's a five-week series which your friends and family are dealing with, and that is called Running on Empty. There's a lot of us who feel like we're running on empty. We're running on busy. We're running on empty. I need a fill up. I need some light in a dark place. And I'm going to be talking about Job and Jesus, baby. Because God's got a plan of resurrection. He's got a plan of revitalization and redemption. And you're not going to want to miss it. I'm asking a favor from you, 1015. Would you consider serving at the 830 or 1130? I'm sorry. Serving at the 1015 and a 10 third time's a charm. Here we go. Would you consider serving at the 10 a.m. and attending the 8.30 or 11.30 to make room? Because I would believe there's going to be some people who need some room and some hope and the way, the truth, and the life. And if you'll consider that, that would be such a blessing. If you can't make that, that's cool. Come join us, but we'll be in this room three times, and we're believing God's going to do a great work. So I'm asking you, invite your peeps next week, all right? Can we pray together? Close your eyes, bow your head, open your soul to what God wants to do in your life. God, our soul looks upward, it looks heavenward. There's not multiple ways to you. Jesus was very clear, He is the way, the truth, and the life. There's people in this place right now that the Holy Spirit has been been tugging on your heart. You don't know how to describe it. You would just say, it it just feels different today. I feel close to God. Something's happening that's more than natural. I want to tell you that's the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart saying, today's your day of surrender. He can forgive you of your sins. You're not too far gone. There is no sin too great that he cannot handle. I felt your way in 2002, and I decided I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to surrender my life to Jesus, and it was the best decision I ever made in my life. And if you're in this place, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to call you forward, and I will not embarrass you, but I want you to not be embarrassed to acknowledge before God, hey, I've got some sin in my life, and I'm ready to surrender my life and give my life to Jesus, whether for the first time or a hundred times. Come on, if you're in this place, just throw your hand right now into the sky as Christians are praying. Come on. Yes, thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. I see you up there. Thank you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. If you're online and that's you, just say, hey, I'm in. I give my life to Jesus because he is the way. Listen, guys, there is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved. So don't, I feel like I'm supposed to hold on one more second. God will wait for you because there's no other name to call upon except the name of Jesus. And when you do, you'll realize there's freedom for Christ died to set you free is what our scripture says. Anybody else to say, Pastor, I didn't raise my hand, but include me too. I see you in the back. Thank you. Come on, church. Let's pray along with the people who raised their hand. If you're online, you repeat this out loud as well. Even if you're in public, just kind of say it in your heart as loud as you can. Church, repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I know I'm a sinner. I've done some dumb things. I know I've hurt you. I've hurt others. And I ask you to forgive me. I'm sorry for going my way, not going your way. I realize now Jesus is the way. 
He's the Son of God. And when he died on that cross, he died to take my place. So I am now forgiven by the blood of Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. I get to start over again. And I do it with you in my heart, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church celebrated and said amen and amen. Come on.